This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. You belong here. You belong here. You belong. You can cut all that out, but I love that. I'm going to leave it all in. Oh, thanks. Welcome to Shirts and Ties, a culture and education podcast. I'm Casey Shirts, And I'm Brian Miller. Brian, my man, what are we talking about today? Belonging. We're going to be talking about belonging. Our theme this year for my school is You Belong Here. And I stole it from a mentor of mine. His name is Martin Silverman down in Texas. He just retired after 41 years of educational service. He was an elementary principal uh, for the, the last, I think, more than half of his career. Um, and him and I were chatting a while ago, and and he was speaking on this topic of belonging. And he found himself, when he would say this sentence, you belong here, emphasizing a different word. So it could, and it would change the meaning, like you belong here, or you belong here, or you belong here, right? And I loved that. So I actually made banners for my for our school, um, and each banner emphasizes one of those different words. And so I, I listened to another podcast a couple of days ago. Uh, I'll throw it in the show notes here where there's a superintendent out of Washington. She's she's got advocating this sense of belonging. And so um, I think as we walk into the school year and, and and principals and teachers are wrestling with, you know, curriculum and and discipline, all that kind of stuff. Belonging is kind of this thing that always creeps up. If you talk long enough about the year, you talk long enough about students, long enough about teachers, belonging will be referenced. And so I want to chat about how we create a sense of belonging, but I want to do it under the the umbrella of you belong here and parse out each word. What is critical about you? What is critical about belonging? And what is critical about here? You okay with that? I'm okay with that. I wanted to though. So I have a couple initial thoughts. One, I think despite how social media was supposed to connect us, it never really did. And I think that it actually made us feel more alone. And so I do think we are, as a society, individuals are desperate to feel like they belong. When you sent me the topic, I actually spent a decent amount of time just thinking about that. Why is it so important that we make people feel like they belong? Part of belonging and and the key component of belonging is you, right? The identity of a person. And so somebody, in order for them to feel a belonging, they have to feel that they can be be their personal, unique, individual self. Accepting is the is the like basic component of that. So we need to accept everybody, but that's certainly not enough. Somebody who belongs to a school, to belongs to a family, they feel like they can bring their own unique, individual self. They can make autonomous decisions because they're trusted or because they understand the norms of the community. And so they feel emboldened to say, I mean, you and I were chatting before we started recording that you want to be make some more autonomous decisions in your building. And that has come from a couple of years of you feeling confident of who you are, right? Like the decisions that you're going to make, you feel confident in how you are going to be able to impact your, your school but also because you understand the parameters of your school. You understand your bosses and their expectations. And so that allows you to actually flex some of your individuality and some of your identity. 
I was taking a look at a, an article from the the Wharton Business School, and one of the goals really with the work that was done there, and a lot of businesses are shifting gears a little bit and really just focusing in on the individual and their individual story. One of the vice presidents at Citi, uh, the financial firm, said a sense of belonging means that people can bring their full selves to work and not feel like they're a different person there than at home. And isn't that what yeah. we mean by acceptance? I want to be able to walk through the doors of the place that I work and be myself. I want to be, if I'm a student, I want to be able to walk into that classroom and I want to be myself and I want people to accept me as I am. And so more and more, I think that's how that conversation about diversity is happening. It's about, it's not about the diversity itself. It's about you get to be you when you come to work. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and I think that there's always a component of humanity that you will shift and kind of manipulate yourself to fit the context, right? Like I'm going to act a little bit differently uh, at my buddy's house at the poker table than I'm going to act at my grandmother's house. But you're still not losing a sense of who your identity is. You're still Casey Shirts walking into a room. The phrase that I recently came across that I really appreciate when it comes to this identity and creating an identity for our students and our staff is this. It's not the child's responsibility to be ready for school. It's the school's responsibility to be ready for the child. And I love that kind of component of I don't need to, although we want to teach our children, we want to teach our staff that when you come here, here's kind of our culture, here's some of our norms. But I need to be ready that when they walk through the door, I'm accepting of whatever they are coming in, not only like holistically, but also in that moment, in that day. If they're having a, a terrible day, if they're in a bad mood, if they're in a whatever it is, I need to be ready to accept them that, that when they walk in, they can bring themselves, they can bring their individuality. Uh, have you heard the, because here's the danger if we don't. Have you heard, it's, it's an old uh, African proverb that's something like, an individual who feels isolated will burn the village just to feel its warmth, right? So yeah. I'm going to manipulate that slightly. And so I do think that when we feel alone in our suffering or in our struggles, we will cause suffering and harm so we don't feel alone. But if we feel, if we suffer and struggle in a community, we will work very hard to ensure nobody else is going to feel isolated or alone. And so part of that is when you come to school, when our students come to school or staff come to school, if they feel like I can be who I am, I can struggle with my struggle. You were phrased the other day when I can emotion together, there's a sense of belonging just by me being able to be me. Yeah. And and honestly, since I said that, and and it's always been something I've thought about, but I never said it quite that way. And, and you pointed out, and the more I think about it, I think that's part of what a community of people that's what's going to make them feel accepted is that they get to run through all the gamuts of, of their emotions yeah. and, and people will still accept them just the way they are. And, and not to that say that point, we can't push into them and be like, Hey, your emotion, maybe like your emotion was fine. Your reaction to that emotion we need to work on. Yeah. It the, doesn't the, say that we just accept everything all the time, but I'm accepting of you, the person as you're wrestling through these emotions. Yeah. And, and what I tell my, my own children, and I've mentioned this before is like, you can have whatever emotions you want, or whatever emotions you're feeling, they're, they're okay. They're all okay. You just don't get to give them to other people. And I think sometimes yeah. that's reacting poorly as we're like pushing our emotions outward. Can I, can I make one more point on that? Sure. So when we talk about what you just described is like, you know, letting people come into the building, accepting them as they are. I think um, the, the way that we do that is we, we perfect the empathetic tone. Hmm. Like, we all need to get really good at being able to engage people 
with empathy. Honestly, a lot of the the staff and even students, I have a lot of students who who struggled with this. If they can't interact with somebody with an empathetic tone, then that's off-putting. And all of a sudden I wonder, do you even care about me? Mm-hmm. Like when you're you're asking a student to get an assignment done, if your tone isn't empathetic, that kid just the it's it's about the assignment. If you have some empathy, then it's about the kid. Uh, Stephen Covey has a the the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has a pretty good quote on that point. When you show deep empathy towards others, their defensive energy goes down and positive energy replaces it. That's when you can get more creative in solving problems. I think uh, perfecting that empathetic tone is really important. You're dealing with the person before the task, right? So you and I both know this as teachers and your students or as leaders. If if a kid is struggling with math and I make the problem about math, I might get them to sit down and be quiet and put pen to paper, but they're not really going to be learning in it. And I've now caused a friction between us. But if I make it about the person and I spend an extra 30 seconds or five minutes with the child, even if I say, you know what, this class is a wash, I'm going to focus on the child. They feel understood. They feel like their identity is seen and accepted and and empathized with, then they can go perform the task. So I I, I appreciate that. Uh, Perfect the empathetic tone. That was good. All right, you ready to move on? Yeah, sure. I think the the biggest component of somebody feeling belonging, one of them is that they feel safe, right? And that's social, uh, emotional, physical. When they show up to our schools, they feel safe. Uh, and kind of what we've already talked about. They show up and they 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 know they can go through the gamut of emotions, and they're not going to be punished for the emotion or or ostracized for the emotion. There might be some sort of reaction or pushback on how they uh, express that emotion but the emotion is going to be you're okay you're safe Um, but here's the big component that i think we oftentimes miss when it comes to belonging and that is that you have the ability to serve right so when i think of some of the relationships and friends that i've had i know you value me as a friend when you call me to help you we live kind of in a society that we we don't really ask for help or we don't really reach out for people and say whatever like we, we kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of kind of endure on your own whatever but when somebody asks you for help and when somebody asks you to to give that's actually a, a strong sense of belonging and i do feel at times that one of the reasons why our students especially our younger students maybe don't uh, feel a sense of belonging is because we're always anticipating what they will be rather than what they are right now and what they can offer right now. So allowing students and staff to serve the community actually creates a sense of belonging. One of my favorite ways to ask students to get things done is to just say, Hey, could you do a favor for me? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, it, it's a, it's language that says, no, no, we're, we're in this together. This thing that you're going to do, it's a favor for me because I need you. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked a lot. It, it, that kind of, and I think that falls under the category of empathetic tone because it's like, yeah. listen, I know this might be a bit of a burden, but I need this favor. Could you do me this favor? Yeah. We can be at times, I'm, I'm assuming it can be manipulated at times when we kind of, of pull on these relational strings. And so people feed into that pretty quickly, or they can sense that pretty quickly. But the opportunity to serve to me is, is how 
Think about what this does. When, when you serve, you do a couple things. First of all, you can look at your community and you can see your personal imprint upon it, right? You have done something to this community. So you see yourself in the community. But it also emphasizes that you have purpose. You have reason, which can combat some of this apathetic or this even like depression of partly why we feel depressed is because we don't feel like people need us. Not just want, like wanting us and accepting us, that's great, but feel needed in that I, if I don't show up, if I don't do this thing, the community or my surrounding is actually going to suffer. That instills and affirms identity, but it also instills and affirms community and that you have a part of it. You have a, a role in it. As you talk about community there, uh, it, it reminds me of a Langston Hughes poem called Freedom Plow. And, and let me just read you a little bit of that. And I think this is exactly to your point of why belonging is so important in the community. A community of hands to help, thus the dream becomes not one man's dream alone, but a community dream. Not my dream alone, but our dream. Yeah. Not my world alone, but your world and my world belonging to all the hands who build. Yeah. When we think about the importance of belonging, if people feel like they belong, they're going to be more willing to follow the group norms. Yeah. They're going to be more invested in the success of the group. And it's going to increase the likelihood that they see others and they don't presume malice anymore because they know those people more deeply. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I think schools that, and I know a lot of schools do it, do this sort of exercise, but when schools have their students go around on a certain day and clean up the grounds. I think just doing that for the sake of just cleaning, you're, you're missing an opportunity because what you're missing is first and foremost, acknowledging like, look at all the garbage that we just cleaned up, right? So first and foremost, if you acknowledge it, the mess that you're cleaning up, it will probably prevent some of them from throwing their trash on the ground because they realize like they've tangibly picked it up. They've tangibly gone through the process of like, Oh yeah, this garbage doesn't just disappear. It just gets caught in the fence down, you know, 20 yards down the way and somebody has to clean it up. But I remember when I would do this quite often, especially uh, in, in, in my old school, anytime we would do a service project, we would do these service Wednesdays where the last hour of the day we'd go out into the community, we would do something. And one of the ones that we did was there was this um, old lady that, uh, in town and a huge tree got, fallen by by a storm and so my uh my lead engineer he kind of went out and he chopped it up for us already cleaned it up but then we brought the students out there and we cleaned up all of the tree and i wanted them to say like when it was all done i we paused everybody and i said look around you right all we did was show up and we worked for 45 minutes but with all of our hands combined we just tackled you know if there's 20 kids in 40 minutes how many hours of that or how many minutes of that did we just solve together but also look at this yard like this woman is going to walk out of her house every day and see a clean yard you're going to drive by this house every day and you're going to see this tree stump gone and the, and the mess cleaned up and it gives you a, a very tangible, real sense of when you do something, when you when you put forth whatever gift or talent that you have and you do something, you can make a difference. And students being able to see the difference that they make, even in the smallest of ways, not only in, emphasizes, again, their you, their individuality, it emphasizes what we can do as a community and how you can help your community. I think that's a great idea. And it's got me wondering, like, should we once a month just run a modified schedule and, and have some kids taking some action and doing some things around the school and take care of this place. I think it's a kind of a cool idea. 
I, I want to try and do it here. Um, one of the old principles that was here, he's now at a different principle. Uh, he installed it in my brain that so nearby a block away, there's a Walmart and to the, uh, the left of the Walmart is an open field and it's just filled with trash all the time. And he's like, I always felt like it was, we could adopt that field and, and once a week or once a month, go down there and clean it. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, we have a couple opportunities just within walking distance of the school of we go down there, we spending an hour, right? Just an hour. We're going to go down there as a body of 700 kids or however many kids we can bring there at a time and clean up this field. And they're going to see this tangible, that field is different because we went down there and did something about it. So let me ask you the tough question. How are you going to convince your math teacher and your English teacher that this hour is going to improve their test scores? That's great. Um, and a lot of times that comes from the message in the beginning of we are going to work on our test scores. We are going to work on our academics, but we also want to build quality men and women of character. And if we can do that, taking away an hour, a week or a month, whatever it might be, if we can instill in these kids a work ethic, a perspective outside themselves, but also an investment in their community, community we're building some of the soft skills that will actually help them become better math students. Um, and you and I both know that like, well, what's that, that old um, story of uh, two, two young, or there's a young man and an older man and they're out chopping trees. And, and the young buck is, you know, I can, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm younger, I can do this faster. And so he challenges the older man. He says, let's see, you can cut down the most trees today. And so um, they start and the, the, the young man notices that the old man keeps leaving every so often. And he's like, what is he doing? I'm, I'm not stopping working. I'm going to kick kick this guy's butt. And at the end of the day, the old man actually has twice as many trees chopped. And he's like, what the heck? You worked less time than me. How did you chop so many trees? And he says, well, I would pause and go sharpen my axe. Right. And so just that pausing to go sharpen the axe allowed him to work harder. And so even sometimes with our students, what are ways we can pause and sharpen the axe, not necessarily of rest, and rejuvenation, but of these other skills that will allow them to actually perform these uh, academic tasks better and faster. That's good stuff. I know actually on my whiteboard, it was I'm kind of parsing these out for my, for my staff that we're going to kind of chat about. And for a long time, it was blank. I'm like, here, what is the importance of here? And then I actually, on a drive the other day, as I was considering it, the poem by Walt Whitman Oh, me, oh, life came to mind, right? Made famous by Mr. Keating in <laughs> uh, Dead Poet Society. Um, but the poem starts off with, oh, me, oh, life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, oh, me, oh, life, right? So like life sucks. There's destruction everywhere. What good am I? Answer that you are here, that life exists and identity, so back to the you component, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute, back to the belonging component, a verse. And so we chatted many, many episodes ago about sometimes one of the things that education falls victim to is we keep referring to the child of what they can be, what you will be. We keep talking about them, about what they are going to do in the future, losing sight of the fact of what they are right now. And so emphasizing to this child, to our staff, I don't know what God you believe in. I don't know what forces you believe in. I don't know how you believe or what you believe about the universe and all of this, but you are here 
right now for whatever reason, how you got here. And that is an incredible opportunity to, and, and, and blessing that you have a calling to do something amidst these trains of faithless and cities of the foolish amidst all of these struggles, you have been called right here in this time period at this school to do something. And it's not to scroll through TikTok and post pictures on Facebook. It's to be who you are for the purpose of serving your community to improve our cities, our schools, and our towns. You know, one of the things I thought a lot about as far as making this happen and making people feel like they belong and making them feel like that they are at home in this place, that they are here for a reason, is through storytelling, through giving people the opportunity to tell their story and to exist in this space. There was another business leader who in that article from Wharton was talking about how storytelling had become so important in their work. And the reason was because, as she said, it amplifies everyone's voices. It clears barriers and allows them to appreciate each other for their unique backgrounds. I think part of the here, from my perspective, is that each of us get acknowledged. We get to speak out. Uh, we get to have our voice heard and we get to start to be part of whatever that service is for this community that we're part of. I, I don't know if we emphasize enough with ourselves, even like I'm thinking of my own family, uh, my wife and I, we talk a lot about the future and dreams of the future, which are great. And oftentimes we struggle with the current. So we're frustrated with the dishwasher going out or we're frustrated with the heat that's killing our grass or we're frustrated with, you know, whatever. And it's so easy to regret the things that we've done in the past and worry or dream about the future and not really be present because of all the different reasons. And I, and trying to emphasize that in my own personal life, but for sure with my staff and with my students of, we have this time we have today we have this year, we have these students. We've been gifted and we've been blessed with here and now. And your unique self is here. How can we serve this community? Can I push back just a spitch? Because sure. I think one of the mistakes we make in schools is we don't even let people storytell about how they got here. That's an important part of the here. And the how identity. How did you get here? Yeah. Well, that's, I, I love that question. And I think I would use that. I think I chatted with you before about this renewing of the vows. Part yeah. of a renewing of the vows is walking through that journey. How did you get here? What brought you here? What are some of the things that you've overcome? What are some of the, the people that inspired you? I absolutely agree with that. We need to be talking about the past. That's the storytelling that we do in the teacher lounge. That's the storytelling that we do uh, with some drinks after work or whatever. But how often do we emphasize also the here? We're always kind of waiting for the break to come, the summer to come, the weekend to come, the, you know, the, the child that this could be rather than the child that I have. Well, one of my least favorite phrases that adults often use with kids is when you're in the real world and it's like, <laughs> no, 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 this is their real world right here, right now. Yeah, this is, yeah. Uh, when when a, a middle schooler or a younger or anyone age really has an issue or a struggle. And 
in our worst moments, we might smirk and say like, oh, wait to the real world. In our best moments, we might be like, yeah, I understand it. But for us to, to not understand that, you know, remember our Kyrie episode yeah. uh, when he said, do you remember the, the power of peer pressure? Yeah. Like, do you forget about that as, as an adult? And that was a great like kind of jolt to me of like, yeah, middle school peer pressure is immense. And if I don't acknowledge that and understand that, then I've lost sight of the kids that I'm leading. Yeah, Kyrie did a heck of a job of like making me think about some things I hadn't in a long time. And that that conversation about peer pressure was was one of those. Because yeah, if if we don't recognize the here that these kids are currently in, then we might diminish some of their experiences. And they they lose trust with us, right? They don't yeah. that quickly of they don't understand me, they don't know my struggles, therefore, how could they possibly help me? If we are gonna be with our students, simply accepting our students is baseline tolerance of humanity. That's not enough. We have to uh, teach our students and allow our students to embrace their identity. Now, again, if that identity is imposing upon the safety, if it's imposing upon like the, the, the flow of our community or our norms, uh, we have to, we have to push that and, and encourage something different, but allowing students to feel that they are, that their identity matters and that their identity is seen and, and it is acknowledged is important. But turning that identity into encouraging students, how can they how can they serve their classrooms? How can they serve their schools? And this is our teachers as well. Teachers are terrified to speak to their teachers, right? You give teacher an opportunity to get in front of their fellow colleagues and do like a, a professional development. They're terrified of that. Emphasizing this, we're not saying that you're better than anyone else. This is just one of your skills, one of your gifts, one of your talents. And we're going to ask you to serve our community. That is a language that I think is is tolerable for a teacher um, but also builds again a sense of you're not just here just to serve your students you belong to our entire school and you can benefit our entire school we don't have to accept all behaviors or all agree you know in in extreme beliefs but we can accept the kid we can accept our colleague right so i i think sometimes we become afraid that if we if we accept someone that we are accepting all of the things that they believe in and all of their actions, but that's not what we're doing. We're just saying that they belong here. They belong here. And to go one step further, if, and and if you don't mind, I I'll share a few specific things that I've done of course. to try to make this work. If we give people a chance to tell their story and maybe just as importantly, hear other people's stories, mm-hmm it might begin to reshape what they think is important and valuable. And I think we have to have faith that in a community of people, there will be enough of the good to begin yeah. to shape and reform some of the negative stuff. So in my um, in my classroom, when I was teaching, um, and some of this has carried over into my my new role, but Part of my effort at storytelling to let people talk about how they got here and then just enjoy the here is to be really intentional about celebrating, celebrating each other. Sometimes in my classroom, what that looked like was displaying the things that they created, taking pictures of the kids doing the work they were doing, and then just have their pictures all over the classroom, things like that. Um, I actually did once a week with my students, we had a check-in or a check-out and we just sat around in a circle. We had some kind of question. People shared their thoughts on it. And uh, initially it was like the kids were like kind of weirded out by that. And what are we doing here? 
And some of my parents were like, okay, this is history class. What are we doing here? But I, I will tell you of all the things I did as a teacher, nothing got more compliments than giving kids a chance to tell their story so that they felt like they belonged. Can I, um, can I piggyback off of that a little bit? Sure. That is, that is one of the reasons why I think when we have these staff meetings, I think it can be scoffed at to allow time of, of conversations and just banter. Um, but you know, you and I became great friends when we intentionally used our prep time to go sit in another classroom with another communal friend and spend time chatting. And we would chat about everything. Now, it was incredibly professional in terms of we were always bringing it back to our craft and back to how we can teach and help students. But it was also just sharing stories about life and where we wanted to go. And that built a community, a belonging of our crew. And then it also helped us become better teachers, which is why I've referenced before that we are we're going to kick off the ground and it might fail for a while, but our professional development throughout the year is going to be staff, not only led, um, but it's also going to be autonomous in terms of which ones do you want to go to? You know, do you, and one of them is going to be, if you want 20 minutes just to go sit with some colleagues and chat and just kind of unwind, you can go do that. If you want to go play pickleball in the gym, you can go do that. If you want to learn more about uh, character strong or responsibility center disciplined, you can go do that. If you want to go analyze data, that is that is an acknowledgement of their you like their individuality. What do you need? I see you and I hear you and I'm going to acknowledge what you need and we're going to feed into that. Hey, I just want to take a quick break to acknowledge Peer Driven PD and Mike Alpert. Uh, did you know that 86% of administrators and teachers agree that the ideal person to lead professional development is a classroom teacher? 86%. It is true. In an ideal world, rockstar teachers would be the ones training their colleagues. Of course, the issue is they're not only busy, but what topics can you choose? Peer Driven PD provides the answer. If you click into Peer Driven PD, it's like master's classes, master's class for teachers, led by teachers who are in the trenches every day, just like your teachers are, just like you are, and they provide quality professional development for quality teachers. Teachers who get some choice in their professional development report that they are three times happier with their experiences. Peer Driven PD also has you covered there. Teachers log in anytime and choose whatever adventure they want from elementary to secondary, ELA, math, science, social studies, whatever it is, there's a class for you and for your teachers. Peer Driven PD, check it out. Give your teachers some autonomy, the ability to be masters at what their crafts and find purpose in their teaching. And tell them that Shirts and Ties sent you and you'll get 10% off your school's or individual subscription for the first year. Check out peerdrivenpd.com and tell them that we sent you. All right, let's get back to the episode. So this is something I haven't been great at doing either when I was in the classroom or my current role, but the question, a question that I think we should ask more often is what is important to you and what makes you feel valued? And then let's try to do those things. Some other things I was thinking about, so I think part of the belonging is making sure that you're including everyone. We've talked a little bit before, you know, as a, a principal, you could use the popsicle sticks. You got all your, your yep. teacher's names on there. You can move those around. Like as you interact with them, just drop it in the other jar. Here's something I did in my classroom that was simple and it had such an impact on us doing our work. When students were in their independent time and they were practicing the thing that we just learned how to do. I would walk to every kid and I would just a little tap on the shoulder and say, Hey, do you need any help? Are you doing okay? 
25 kids in there. It takes just a second to tap them on the shoulder and look them in the eye and say, hey, do you need anything? Are you okay? Every single kid got that in my class almost every single day, didn't leave one out. Um, I did other things too. I would do little surveys. I would write little notes based on things that they had told me or shared. I'd try to know them. But there's lots of ways to make people feel included and so they're not feeling left out. I think so that that completely translates into a leadership in a, in a building, right? And so this doesn't fall on the responsibility of the principal or whatever. Even teachers, when they go to other teachers, hey, how are you doing today? And I, I don't have an agenda. I'm not going to be looking at my watch. How are you doing today? You okay today? Um, and I don't only do that when I kind of notice you're having a bad day, but just anytime. A check-in, an intentional check-in that people... Everybody enjoys that. Even the people that find it awkward, maybe slightly, everybody enjoys being checked in and seen. Um, I've re- referenced it before, but the, it's, a, it's, a, it's an assessment to me of if my staff were to come to my office, if I don't know what type of M&M that they want to have, I don't know that they don't belong here, right? Because I don't know them. When you come to my house, I actually don't know what kind of M&M that you would want, but I know enough about you in that like, I, I can set up my house, I can design an evening to kind of cater to you because I know you. Can I do that to my staff in my office? Peanut Eminem. That's my um, favorite. Yes. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, so uh, just a couple more things here real quick. Barbara Jordan, first black congresswoman in Texas. She had some advice for leaders. And I think it's a, amazing advice because as leaders, we typically want to be like, I want people interested in me. I want them to hear me. I want them to be paying attention to me. Her yeah. advice, be interested, not interesting. Yeah. Be interested in other people. That's what's going to make people be drawn to you. And on that point, something new and exciting that that fits into this that we're trying out here. So we have a, a small group of people that are working as a tier two, three behavior support team. What we're doing right now is we're kind of running through our list of students that we have in the building. And we have some kids that we know struggle. And day one, we've divided this group of kids up. We're going to each have five to seven that we're going to kind of be a mentor to. And what we're going to do is right away, first week of school, we're going to be interested in them. We're going to see how they're doing. We're going to have some little snacks for them. We're going to let them know, hey, I'm I'm here in this room. You pop in whenever you want. I'll come see you in the class from time to time. And we're going to really try to make sure that these kids feel seen and and heard so that they don't need to do those things that they desperately do for attention. And uh, I, I'm excited for that. I think it's going to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Those things, they matter right now. If it's, you do it in August, teeter out in September and then never see me again in October, it doesn't mean much, but they they matter. They make a difference. Yeah. So in a couple of months, let's, let's talk about this and see how it's going. I'll set a reminder. (laughs) Um, I do want to just maybe bring all of this back to, and I know we got to start wrapping this up here. Um, Daniel Pink, he's just always spot on with his autonomy mastery purpose. Um, if that's what motivates people, that's also what makes people feel part of a community where they belong. If they have autonomy, which is the individuality you component, if they have mastery, which is they can get better at something, but also they can use that mastery to the benefit of somebody else, right? That's the belonging component. And then purpose, that's the here component, right? You have a purpose here and now allowing those things to be exercised. It motivates people. It inspires people and it also makes them feel part of a group. And when you feel part of a group and you feel like you belong, you're, you, you work harder, you're safer, you're kinder, all the things that we want in humanity. I'm excited for your students and, and to see how you belong here. 
goes for you guys. Casey, I'm all talk. None of this is going to actually play out. I'm just all talk. Set a reminder, two months. Check it on. You <laughs> belong right. here. Uh, I am excited about it. I think I think it's a it's a phrase, especially after, you know, when, when COVID hit, companies discovered you can do a lot of things from home and we can save a ton of money by having you work from home. Uh, and I think initially people were kind of excited about that. I can work on my sweats. I don't have to travel. But what we discovered rather quickly is the loss of where do I belong? Where is my community? I don't have a belonging anywhere. I'm making good money but I don't have a sense of belonging. And that trumped rather quickly the desire to have a couple extra bucks in our back pocket. It's, it's a key component to the human need. All right. It's good stuff, man. Takeaways. What do you got? Uh, I hate doing this because it gives you a lot of credit for the work that you're doing, but I have two again. Ooh. It's like, I'm learning things from you. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem you're right. one of two people. <laughs> so you said a couple of things that I liked a lot. Uh, one is you differentiated between being wanted and being needed. And I think your point was being needed actually has a little more value because this community of people now depends on you. And so you want to, you want to make sure you take care of things, right? Yes. So I kind of like that concept, the idea we want to make kids in this building or the adults in this building feel needed as opposed to just wanted. And then I've always struggled a little bit with, ways to convince teachers to slow down from time to time, step away from the content a little bit. But that phrase that you used, sharpen the ax, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use that. You can't just be chopping the tree constantly. Your ax will get dull and you will not be able to cut that tree down. So we need to sharpen the ax from time to time. I love that phrase. Absolutely going to use it. And whatever that means to you, right? Like if that means you putting away your books on a Friday and taking away for a weekend. Sure. You're not getting the papers graded on time. Sure. You're going to come back to a mountain of work, but you're going to sharpen your, your personal acts. You're going to sharpen your mental acts, whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I, it's a phrase that I have adopted and I, 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 it makes a lot of sense to me and it, and it catches on, right? Everyone understands that. Yeah. Uh, I appreciated perfect the empath- empathetic tone. Not only how do we teach that with students, Right. That's a soft skill that students need to understand. Uh, I need to practice that pretty consistently, um, especially when I'm stressed, especially when I'm having a hard day, especially when my my to-do list is huge and I got meetings coming up and somebody comes in with a problem. Uh, I I know I can at times not have a very empathetic tone. I can have a rush tone. I can have a distracted tone. And being able to perfect that tone in body and in, and in actual words, I want to work on that. That's That was good. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. And All right. Right away, here we are. Kids are showing up. Let's make people feel like they belong. You belong here. Until next week, man, you're up. I am. All right. Until then, do great things. And keep knocking.